0: Welcome to Dear Runner Bod, the pod dedicated to helping you embrace your runner's body. I'm Serena Marie RD, a registered dietitian and body image coach who wants you to stop dieting and start fueling the athlete within. While I am a medical professional, the information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not meant to diagnose, treat, or cure. Now, let's start rewriting your body's story. So this week's guest is Leah, and Leah is from New Jersey, and I can't remember if she said this on air or off air, but... At some point, she said, I feel like our energy is so good because we're both from New Jersey. We've got that Jersey thing going, and I just was like, nailed it 100%. <laughs> um, so I think today's conversation is really going to be so good, not only because are we covering something that I think is maybe a little bit taboo. We're going to be talking about cannabis. We're going to be talking about um you know, just kind of how to navigate, um, this new world we live in where you can buy THC products and how that can potentially affect your appetite. Um, but also because Leah is just like a doll and I I think her energy was awesome. So who is Leah? Uh, Leah is a, uh, Leah Kern is an anti-diet dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor who specializes in helping people heal their relationship with food and body. Her approach to coaching is firmly evidence-based rooted in the health at every size, and intuitive eating frameworks. In her private practice, Leah teaches her clients to harness their body's innate wisdom to govern how they eat and live. Leah believes that the work involved with unraveling years of conditioning and diet culture and learning to come home to one's body is deeply spiritual work, and she treats it as such. It is Leah's mission to help her clients make peace with food and body so they can unlock their most aligned and fulfilling lives. And if you head to the show notes, you'll see a bunch of links where you can – Um, check out how to work with Leah or learn more about her, listen to her podcast. And she also is doing something pretty cool. She has a personal writing um, blog type situation. And um, yeah, I think you can just really learn more about how um, what a beautiful soul Leah is. So definitely check out all of Leah's resources and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Before we dive into today's episode, I do want to give a little plug to take a minute of your time and head to the... Um, Apple podcast to leave a review of the week. If you leave a review, there is a very good chance that you are going to win a free masterclass, a masterclass that can help you with meal planning or help you with hydrating during your long runs or help you banish your sugar cravings. You can get one of these masterclasses completely for free simply by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. I actually don't have any new reviews to read this week. Um, womp womp. So not only are you going to potentially win a masterclass, but you're going to help me feel um, better about myself because it was pretty sad to see that there were no new reviews for me to read on this week's episode. So please um, take one minute of your time, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review. It helps the podcast get more listeners. And also, it's pretty cool that you get to win a prize. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome to another episode of Dear Runner Bod. I am excited to have fellow dietitian here today, Leah. Hello, Leah.
1: Hi, I'm so excited. <laughs>
0: Leah is here to talk about something that we have definitely never spoken about on this pod. But when she even threw the topic out there, I was like, I don't know, like who's going to be into this, who isn't going to be into this, but I think it's worth talking about and destigmatizing. So we're actually going to be talking about cannabis. Uh, Leah, can you tell us a little bit about like how did you get into cannabis? Like how did you decide this is something you wanted to speak about? Tell us a little bit about your story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I am an intuitive eating dietitian and like so many intuitive eating anti-diet dietitians, I got into this work because I struggled with my own relationship with food and found so much healing and freedom and peace in intuitive eating and the anti-diet framework and then knew that it was the one the kind of work I wanted to do with my clients. And so I'm happy to like share more about my story, but to speak to the cannabis part, um, pretty much I had cannabis as part of my life since like high school. Um, I went to college in Vermont, which is a very like crunchy granola kind of vibe. And cannabis is very much part of the culture there. And it was a big part of my my college experience. And pretty much what happened for me with my timeline of healing my disordered relationship with food I learned about intuitive eating freshman year from my curriculum as, you know, to become a dietitian, and it totally blew my mind. And then I started implementing what I was learning and started finding a lot of peace and and healing. But what was happening was I was feeling so much more in control around food when sober, but like as soon as I got high, the munchies would come and it was like everything I was learning went out the window because the heightened sensations that you experience went high, which are real, like food and other senses can really feel more pleasurable. That made it so difficult to stop when I was full. And I started to kind of look around. Actually, I'm saying this and I'm like, I don't even know how much looking I did because I, I kind of don't even think I put words to... Like I even knew what to Google, like how to practice intuitive eating when high. Like I don't even think at the time I had the language to know that that was even my question, but pretty much I just kind of struggled with that part of healing my relationship with food for longer than everything else and eventually was able to move through it, but it did take so much longer than the regular, you know, intuitive eating when sober and then, you know, fast forward several years later, I become a dietitian. I start my own practice, start working with folks on healing their relationship with food and body. And for whatever reason, the kind of client I attract is similar to myself in some ways And that cannabis is also, you know, part of many of my clients, not all of them, but many of their stories as well. And over the years, I've been in practice, private practice three years, and over the years more and more clients had been like opening up of like, okay, so I binged and I was high and like that, you know, they started to share that this was something they were struggling with. And of course I could deeply relate. And I started realizing like beyond just talking about this with my one-to-one clients, this is something that, the world needs that the dietetic world the intuitive eating world the disordered eating world um and i have theories on why it's not spoken about so much uh pretty much i think it comes down to the fact that dietitians sort of stereotypically can be sort of like type a rule follower and i think a lot of dietitians are scared to speak about you know cannabis is legal in so many states but still federally illegal um so I think there's like a little bit of like taboo around it, but so many clients struggle with it. And it's truly a privilege to just say like, Hey, we're not going to talk about that because for so many people, it's either part of their life recreationally or like even more seriously, like medicinally, a part of like their pain management or their mental health, like can be really supportive for, um, anxiety. So that just got me fired up and made me want to talk about it more. And it all started with a podcast episode I did on my own podcast, which I was quickly able to see the feedback that, oh my God, this is something the world wants because that episode became one of the most downloaded, like I could see on the back end, by like a lot really quickly. And it was a solo episode titled, you know, Cannabis and Binge Eating, How to Practice Intuitive Eating, when High. And then it kind of grew from there and I started sharing some blog posts on it. Um, In April of this year, I hosted a masterclass on 420, which is like, you know, a weed holiday um, about cannabis and binge eating. And I've spoken about it on a lot of other podcasts now too. And and, um, I'm just grateful that people like you are open to having this conversation because I think a lot of people feel shame and wonder like, do other people struggle with this? And certainly they do. And it's also certainly possible to have a peaceful relationship with food when high.
0: Yeah, I I was really excited and intrigued by this because I really think there's a lot of work all communities probably need to do, but obviously I'm in this running community where I think something where runners get stuck a lot of times is on their identity. And they're like, my identity is I'm a runner. So like, yes, dietitians, type A, runners type A, I am both. So super type A, you know, once upon a time, I'm, I'm working on it for sure. I actually remember, um, so, like, my story with cannabis is, like, I was terrified to ever, like, smoke weed or do any of those things because I, my eating disorder, like, I was terrified of the munchies. Like, it was such a strong fear that I, like, didn't touch the stuff. And essentially, um like, around COVID, my anxiety was super duper bad. I played around with anxiety medication. It made me feel horrible, like, completely destroyed my libido. And I was like, Hey, why don't I try like an edible or a tincture? Um, I, I started with CBD. CBD was incredible. And then I was like, Hey, if CBD is incredible, like what's the the kind with the THC. And so I, um, I, I don't take edibles as often as I did because my anxiety is better, but like, it really helped me when I was in like a really bad place with anxiety in a way that like anxiety medication didn't. And so like, when you propose this topic, I was like, Okay. I have the fear coming up for me that there's going to be people that are like, why is Serena talking about this? Like it's not even legal in Pennsylvania where I live. You mm-hmm. um, have a a, med- a medical card though. Um, so it is legal for me. <laughs> if you're <laughs> one, I want to just throw that out there. But I think the fact that I even feel that need to talk about that, like goes to prove the point you were just saying that there is like so much stigma there. And also it's like, just because you use pot doesn't mean you have to be like that stereotype, right? Like, totally what comes up when people hear, like, I like smoke weed or take edibles or whatever.
1: Yeah, like, concert goer, you know, flannel wearing, man bun, burnout. And like, it's truly the clients of mine that use cannabis. Like, I think of one woman who I love, she's a dear client. She's like, I don't know, I don't know how old she is, maybe like late 40s, early 50s. I don't know. Um, you know, a mother of two and this is part of her, her life. She's a very, you know, not a burnout, normal functioning person. Um, and you know, plenty of other clients who you just wouldn't think. Um, and I live in California and like, when you go into the dispensary is not the burnout, like kind of image stereotypical image that you are imagining. There's lots of folks, all different ages, all different backgrounds, ethnicities. Um, and something just, that just kind of came to me as you were speaking, Thinking about how this is a runner's podcast, so I, I'm also a runner, um, which is kind of funny because that wasn't even the reason for coming on. But um, I I have found cannabis to be supportive in like recovery for me. I'm obviously not like preaching or proselytizing what you should do, but for me, I found um, it's it's like helps with blood flow and, and muscle recovery. And after a long run, like I find it to feel amazing to have like and I very low dose. I also struggle with anxiety, and I have found a lot of healing and anxiety medication and um, When it comes to cannabis, I know like very, very low THC, mostly CBD because I will (laughs) freak out, Um, but it feels great for my body um, for muscle recovery. So perhaps there are some folks in your audience who you might be surprised um, to, to learn that like this is part of their life in that way.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. It's just like, and yes, thank you for kind of pointing that out. Anxiety medication can be great for some people, right? Like we're not telling you like how to treat your anxiety here. But the point being is like we're each individuals. And so like it's not like if you decide to dabble in cannabis, you have to become that stereotype. Like Leo was just saying, like you can use it to help you chill out. And I know a lot of times like after long runs, my the appetite of a lot of my clients is suppressed. Yes. And they're like, oh, I'm nauseous. Like I'm not hungry at all. That's like, cortisol, that's your nervous system being like, what the heck did you just do? You were running for two to three hours or like you were running up a mountain. Like we think there's a bear chasing us and now you're trying to eat all this food. Like, exactly. yeah, yeah, I could totally see how weed would be like incredible to help like stimulate some some appetite there.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and I'd love to just add being that this is a runner's podcast, like the part of my story that is running. Um, so for me, I got into running freshman year of high school from a very disordered place, which I'm sure many of your listeners can resonate with. It was like, okay, this is a socially acceptable way to like burn a lot of calories and, you know, not have anyone question me because, oh, I'm just on the track team or whatever. Um, And that's how it started. It was like one season of track and then it was like the other season. And then it was like sophomore year was like cross country and all the seasons. Um, And you know all the typical things. I was really looking at this at the sport as a way to manipulate the size and shape of my body, which resulted in underfueling and getting slower instead of faster. Um, and senior year, it was really odd. I was just like getting even slower, um, despite like you know what everything seeming normal and. My coach encouraged me to get blood work, which was the first time for me having my blood work done. It, it, somehow, like in way too long, I don't know how I how that happened. I, I have a fear of fainting from needles, so um, that I probably just like put it off too long. But anyway, um, I had really, really low iron, um, and I was also like you know a pubescent teenager and like losing blood through my period each month, with, which can contribute. And I was just really like running on like barely any iron way below the amount that I should have been. And that was contributing to me running slower. And I really believe that the low iron was absolutely connected to like increasing restriction. I think at the time I was a vegetarian for, you know, uh, for health reasons, but like, I don't know, it was under the guise of the environment and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, in, in healing my relationship with food, I initially took a pretty long break from running, like the longest I've ever taken. I don't know exactly, but it was at least several months um, because I had been so burned by the sport. It was like only for me about, like I said, manipulating size, shape of my body. Oh, and not to mention senior year, I ran my first half marathon from a very disordered place. It was all about you know, manipulating my body size. I wasn't feeling right. I was struggling with binging, all those things. And then freshman year of college learn a lot about intuitive eating take some space um and eventually i'm able to return to running from this place of like it's not about the calories it's not about the, the speed it's not about any of that it's about this helps me feel really nice in my body and helps my mental health and creativity and all those things and then junior year of college i ran my first or my second half marathon but like my first half marathon in my new you know intuitive eating mindset. And that was so empowering. I ended up running like, I don't know, something crazy, like 15 minutes faster, shaving my time. That's amazing. Yeah. To me really speaks to like, when you're fueling yourself and you're not, I mean, of course, like the course was probably a little different, but not really. They were both pretty similar. Um, When you're fueling yourself and, you know, not like shaming yourself and braiding yourself, look what can happen. Um, So that was really exciting and empowering. And then since then, um, I've had just like a very casual relationship with running and it's it's like not literally couldn't be less about what it makes me look like and it's all about how I feel. So I'm really grateful to, to be in that place.
0: Yeah, I'm really happy you found that place as well. And um, I really, I, I like love that you're here kind of sharing how you're using running to like, chill out and enjoy your life more. We're using a little bit of cannabis to like, chill out, enjoy your life more. And so like, in some ways, we could say they're a tool that are, you know, affecting your life probably in
1: similar ways. I don't know. I don't want to put words well, in your That's mouth. so true. That's so funny. Like, I would never say that. But like, as you say that, I'm like, yeah, like, I find they both sort of And I'm gonna go to this place. Like I think of like neural pathways, and I think sometimes with running, it like almost like dusts off the neural pathways, and like I get like new ideas come through. And the same thing with cannabis, like it kind of tap into a different frequency in my brain. So I would say like the creativity, the help with sleep, the help with anxiety, um, they they're all kind of similar. So yeah, runner's high, you know, regular high. (laughs) Maybe that's our title of the episode, Um, but. Yeah, so so I I totally agree. There's there's a lot of parallels there.
0: Yeah, I mean I I definitely have like a competitive spirit with running, but like uh like you know seventy percent of it is the the runner's high, the meditative you know like anti anxiety effects. So I've definitely when I finally gave myself that permission to you know play around with cannabis, I was like oh like this is nice <laughs> you know yeah. like totally into this. Um okay, but I do want to kind of come back to this point of like. There's probably somebody listening to this right now that has the irrational, or not irrational, the fear that I had back in my disordered eating days of I'm going to get the munchies and I'm not going to be able to stop eating and I'm going to gain a million weight- pounds of weight. And of course, you know, that is painted as by society as the worst possible thing that could ever happen. So like, can you tell me how you as an intuitive eating dietitian, like how did you start to kind of create this overlap with intuitive eating and cannabis using and like kind of talk to your clients who were afraid of binging while they were high?
1: Totally. So I started to look at the trends of of what was happening and started to use what I know about intuitive eating and what I know from my own lived experience of using cannabis and my own lived experience of using cannabis while struggling with disordered eating and just kind of started to iron out some concrete reasons of why binge eating happens while high. And it's really, it's, it's contrary to popular belief. It's really not about the weed itself. And we know that because People use cannabis and don't binge eat while high. So if it was the weed itself, then then everyone who used cannabis would binge eat while high. And it has so much more to do with underlying relationship with food. So I started ironing out what are the reasons if it's not the cannabis in and of itself, not to say it doesn't play a part, but it's not the cannabis in and of itself. What are the actual reasons that are driving binging while high? And then I also started to iron out what are some concrete tips for Navigating through avoiding binging while high, So I'm happy to kind of go into those if that would feel supportive,
0: yeah. Let's talk about what is driving the binging while high. Let's kind of start there,
1: yeah, that makes sense to start there. So the number one reason people are binging while high is because they're using the high as a permission slip to eat their favorite foods. so to to the people listening who are worried that they might binge while high and that might make them gain weight and yada, yada, well, if they do, if you do experience binging while high, it's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just like a signpost that ooh, there's there's some like work to do here. What is happening that you feel like you need being high as an excuse to to, to have this? I don't know, ice cream or chips or whatever the the munchy food is. And the reason that happens is because if you're only allowing yourself something while high, you're setting up this like deprivation last supper mentality of oh my God, I have to capitalize on this. Like I can only, this is only acceptable because I'm high. And then of course you're going to feel out of control because your body's like, we need to get it all in now before we're sober and this is no longer acceptable.
0: So it's like lowering your inhibitions. So you actually like give yourself that permission to eat the food that you usually won't allow yourself to eat essentially.
1: Yeah, exactly. And com- kind of coupled with this social norm of like, what do you do when you're high? You eat because that's part of the fun. So feeling like it's like going to a holiday event where you're like, oh, this is what we do. We eat. So feeling like you have this excuse, which you know, as anti-diet intuitive eating dietitians, we know like you never need an excuse. You can always have unconditional permission to have your favorite foods. But often it's unconscious. Like people don't realize they're only allowing something when high until it's like, oh, I'm always binging on this thing which is where we look at okay, how can we incorporate that thing that food into your everyday sober diet?
0: Yeah and I I even see this like with non-cannabis and I'm sure you too. it's of like course. somebody's like, oh like I'm always good quote unquote, until the weekend when like you know on Friday I allow myself to eat, you know, I don't know, Domino's pizza or something. And then I like eat till I'm sick and I'm eating the leftovers all weekend. And it's, it's the same exact thing where like the cannabis isn't this like magical, like driving you insane like around food. It's literally just like on Friday nights, you give yourself permission to treat yourself quote unquote. Like if you're high, you're giving yourself permission to treat yourself quote unquote. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we can do this in two different ways. Like we can talk about the reason and then how you address it. Or we can talk about like the reasons, and then like next, how you address it. Um, I don't know what would feel what would feel best for yeah, you. Yeah,
0: let's talk about the reasons. Like let's yeah. let's dive into it.
1: Okay, so then the next reason after the permission slip, using getting high as a permission slip to eat your favorite foods, is this this thing that happens, and this happens, I think, with people uh, like college students and with alcohol. Um, this kind of again, conscious or unconscious experience of saving up eating for when high. So it's like, ooh, I'm going to be high tonight. That's going to be fun. My taste buds are going to be heightened. Let's like save more of the eating in the day for this period when when high. And what happens then is you're pulling this pendulum in the direction of, of hunger and the body's natural compensatory response is for it to then swing back Equally in the opposite direction of fullness. So, of course, a binge is going to happen because you set your body up to be in this like primal hunger state and it's going to try to protect you to get enough fuel in by compensating in the other direction.
0: Yep. And again, like there's nothing special, like, not like this is important information, but right. I just want to keep pointing out like this isn't weed's fault, right? Like, this exactly. is has kind of nothing to do with the drug and everything to do with the like societally conditioned behaviors around being terrified of eating or eating too much, quote unquote.
1: Absolutely. And that is kind of like a funny thread throughout of like so much of this can be more generally applied. It's that cannabis can bring to the surface otherwise like dormant or like kind of unconscious underlying disordered eating, um, which I actually think is is kind of fascinating.
0: And it's helpful in some ways, right? Like if you're listening to this and you're like, Oh wait, like I I didn't realize like this was the reason that was happening. Like, how helpful is it to know now, like what's the solution, right? So, so did we go through all the reasons before we dive Um, into the solution here?
1: So there's there's one more that actually is more cannabis specific, and that is the reality that yes, cannabis does lead to heightened senses. Like it's it's true that taste can be heightened and can feel more palatable and pleasurable. And so as a result, another reason why binging while high happens is because stopping can be especially sad when the eating is especially pleasurable. So with when it comes to this, I think there's a few really important things. I mean, I guess we're kind of getting into solutions, um, which is sort of a natural progression here. So the first thing when it comes to the heightened pleasure that I like to talk about Do you ever talk about the the concept of the sadness of saying enough?
0: No, I actually don't kind of – yeah, talk about that. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So I I love this. I think it's like a little gem in the intuitive eating framework. And the sadness of saying enough addresses what can happen when you're eating and it's really good and then you realize you're full and it's sad because, yeah, it's sad when anything pleasurable comes to an end in life. Like you're leaving a vacation or saying bye to a loved one and – so the sadness of saying enough is about kind of this crossroads moment where you have two choices. You can keep eating because you don't want to feel that sadness, or you can acknowledge the sadness and the, the it might seem dramatic but like the literal grief that comes with ooh like this pleasurable experience is ending and know that you will live. You can make it through and you can eat again when you're hungry and it will be even more pleasurable because pleasure decreases as you get full anyway. And so with Cannabis use, I love talking about the sadness of saying enough because honoring that, like, yeah, it probably is extra sad because it was extra delicious because s- sensations actually are heightened. And that's okay. It's okay to, to feel sadness. You, and I like to kind of look at this side by side. If you keep eating because you don't want to feel the sadness, that's going to lead you to feel uncomfortable for the rest of the night and maybe even into the next day, like that kind of food hangover. If you, honor the sadness. It will probably last all of, I don't know, two minutes until you get distracted and something else happens. So it's going to be uncomfortable either way. But in one case, it's going to last a lot longer. And in the other case, you'll move through it and feel more physically comfortable in your body.
0: Yeah. I I think that's such a beautiful, like very the way you're saying it like it's it's not i always say it's like it's not life or death right like this is like there's no judgment here like if you decide that you're like screw it i don't care if i'm uncomfortable like i still want to keep eating this thing great good for you i've been there done that and i will keep being there doing that for the rest of my life because sometimes food is that good yeah. nothing bad is happening here Or like Leah's saying, if you're like, hey, you know what? Uh, This was enjoyable and now I'm going to stop because I don't want to have to unbuckle my pants and have that feeling. (laughs) Okay, cool. You're an adult. Like it's your body. So there's really no judgment in whichever choice you make.
1: Absolutely. I love that. You're not morally superior for stopping or, or, you know, versus continuing eating. Sometimes, you know, you have full body autonomy. Sometimes you might be like, yeah, it's worth the way I'll feel because I'm really enjoying it that much. And something else to consider when high is that you're in a different state. Like you're not, you're more often than not assuming you're sober versus high. So it can be a little bit less familiar to communicate with your body cues because it's like, huh, we're not, we're not usually communicating in this state. So just being gentle with yourself and having this compassion of like, you're probably going to eat past comfortable fullness more than you would sober. And that's because you're less practiced in communicating with your body's cues in this state that's okay. Staying kind of really intentional and aware and practicing just like that inner dialogue of like, how am I feeling? Um, Do I want to keep eating? I have full permission. It's probably going to feel a little bit more mechanical when high, even when it's feeling more reflexive when sober because you have less practice. And one other piece here is, this is like my favorite tip of of the whole cannabis conversation. Mm. Yes. So I think a lot of people forget that we have other sensations besides taste. So what I love to offer clients who are struggling with this experience of eating past comfortable fullness when high, because they're really reveling in that heightened taste sense. I love to talk about like, okay, so if you want to experience heightened sensations, like what other sensations do you have? So, um, Massage, like self-massage or massage from a partner, pleasure, self-pleasure or pleasure with a partner, Um, like a hot shower or a hot cup of tea or lighting a candle or incense, like appealing to smell, taste, touch. Like there's so many other sensations aside from taste. So therefore there are other ways to get to kind of revel in the heightened senses or listening to music, dancing aside from eating.
0: I love that tip. That is like brilliant advice because essentially it's like, it comes back to pleasure, right? So if you know, like I'm not actually hungry, but like, you know, chocolate chip cookies just sounds great. Cool. Like go have some chocolate chip cookies. And then once you're kind of realizing you're full, like go take advantage of another heightened sensation, right? Like you check that one off. Like, can we now use touch? Can we now use like hearing, like whatever. So that is brilliant advice.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I I think it's like one of the hottest tips. I mean, a lot of this A lot of these, like you're saying, are pretty parallel to like regular intuitive eating tips. That one is, I think, very specific to the cannabis experience. And then the other ones like aren't such hot takes, but it's like, okay, if the reason why you're struggling, if you kind of reflect and determine that the reason why you're struggling with feeling out of control when high is related to that using eating as a permission slip, then for, you know, consider what am I binging on when high? How can I incorporate those foods when sober so that I'm not setting up this deprivation mentality? And then the other reason being saving up eating for when high, make sure you're entering into your cannabis experiences nourished, adequately nourished. So you're not in this primal state where, yeah, you're going to probably binge because you're so hungry and you've set the pendulum so far in the direction ready to swing in the opposite direction. Um so those are just some of my my favorite tips. I always have to like kind of hold myself back because I could literally speak about this for hours, but those are kind of like the overarching reasons and then the overarching tips.
0: You had mentioned that like, you know, basically when you are communicating with yourself in that high state, like you need to kind of practice this new um like, communication, like, a sensation that you're feeling. So does that, is that the kind of thing that with practice, like, you become more attuned to, like, your high sense of fullness and hunger?
1: Totally. Totally, totally. Just like anything else, like um... – I sometimes have clients who are like, oh, I always binge when I'm on my period. And I love to normalize, like you're on your period a lot less in life than you're not on your period. So like, yeah, there's some attunement disruptors and like the feeling of cramps or like other things going on in your like, you know, gut area can be confusing of like, what do I need? So it's just like you vlog less hours practicing and the same goes for cannabis. So yeah, I know um, for myself sometimes, while eating, I would have I like before intuitive eating. I'd have a lot less internal dialogue while high. It would just be like, "Yum, this is pleasurable. Yum, this is pleasurable." And now it's you know it's funny actually. Now I don't even I realized the reflection. I don't even like eating when high. Mm-hmm. I always just did it automatically because it was this like cultural norm, as we spoke about, like you know munchies. And through years and years of intuitive eating work and reflection, I've realized. I it actually kind of like spooks me out and like I think too hard about like I remember once I had sushi while high and I was like I'm chewing the seaweed I'm chewing the seaweed and it was like so it ruined the experience cuz I was like too in my head about it and couldn't just like enjoy the sushi Yeah. Um so for me I like to go into experiences of eating I mean sorry of using weed already haven't eaten and like maybe I'll I'll like something pretty basic like popcorn or like ice cream or something that's like not too like I don't have to think too much about it but a reflection I've had from practicing that like inner dialogue and awareness is like wait a second I don't even think I like this and that was like so groundbreaking because it was so normalized to just you're high you should you should want to eat.
0: Yeah. I, I, I love that. And like, I, I've never really thought about this in a broader sense. Like I've only just thought about it as like my N equals one experience. So that was kind of, why I was asking you that, but like, yeah, like I don't struggle with binging at all. And I think it's because I've, you know, I started using, I mean, very like a year ago or so. So like I've had years of intuitive eating under my belt. I haven't struggled with binge eating in over like six years. So like, it, you know, I was healed when I started using and therefore like that, was never an issue for me. I didn't have to think about it. I I still had all those intuitive eating tools at my disposal, even when I was high. So, um, so yeah, I think it's like interesting just to kind of confirm my hypothesis there. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, Leah, I mean, I think this was like such an insightful and helpful episode. Is there anything else you kind of want to share before we kind of dive into you sharing how we can learn more about you?
1: Um, I don't think so. I mean, anything else? I guess the last thing I I would, I would say is I'm like, I don't think so. Just kidding. I have a lot to say always. (laughs) Um, which I, I, by the way, I really appreciate the, like you being from New Jersey. It's like, there's a certain like fastness of going back and forth, which like is wonderful. Um, I, the last thing I would share is like so many things with intuitive eating reflection is really important. So say you do eat past comfortable fullness when high reflecting on like, Hmm, what was going on? Like, did, did I enter into this experience adequately nourished? Um, did I eat a food that I usually wouldn't allow sober, even if that was unconscious? Was there something going on emotionally for me? and And did being high maybe heighten that emotion and lead me to eating to try to fill the void of that emotion? What could I do in the future to meet the root need of that emotion? Because no amount of ice cream is actually going to solve I don't know, the need for intellectual stimulation or loneliness, though there's nothing wrong with emotional eating. I'm like a big believer in like we can have both. But the point being, practicing reflection, because if you have an experience that doesn't feel great, that's okay. I love to say there is no failure, there's only feedback. But if we don't take the moment to reflect, then we miss out on the opportunity to grow from it and use that lesson for a future, to inform future experiences.
0: Amazing advice. What an incredible way to end. Absolutely. <laughs> like, always want to bring out that curiosity and quiet, that judgmental voice. And when we're curious and kind, we can only just keep growing and learning from our experiences. Um, okay, Leah, before you share um, with everyone how they can find you and learn about working with you, I like to always ask my guests. Uh, I don't think we have enough women kind of proclaiming like why they love their body and sharing Ooh. that with the world. So would you feel comfortable sharing with us why you love your body?
1: Oh my God. That kind of gives me chills. I love that. I was like, I'm always curious to hear like what people's like ending question are. I have a fun one too, which maybe you'll come on one day and I I won't spoil it. Yeah. Okay. Um, Okay. Why do I love my body? I love my body because it is the vessel that allows me to experience the world. And it allows me to experience, speaking of senses, like the taste of a delicious meal i love to cook it allows me to experience like the the fresh air and the smell of nature i love to be in nature it allows me to experience like the feeling of leaping from one foot to another and running and feeling so free and it allows me to experience connecting with loved ones through like hugging and touch and so many more things like music and writing all of the like wonderful things in life are made possible because I'm like contained in a body and not just like a consciousness, I think. I don't know. I've never just been a consciousness, so I (laughs) I don't really know. But yeah, there's my like trippy high brain coming out, though I'm not high right
0: now. I love watching you answer that question because you kept like closing your eyes and I was like... Almost like, I bet she's like viscerally feeling like this sun. Yeah. is Like I could see you experiencing it, which was really beautiful. And like really kind of confirms the love you have with the yeah. vessel that holds your soul. So that's pretty cool. Um, Leah, where can people like learn more about working with you, learn more about you, follow your story?
1: Yes. Wait. Before I answer that, has anyone ever turned the question back to you? How come? Why do you love your body?
0: No one has actually. You know, but like not to sound like I'm gonna steal your answer, but I'm definitely like very much that like visceral. Like I love that I can like taste coffee. I love that my body gives me the chance to like feel strong when I'm running and like, feel like my heart beating fast and the sweat, like kind of dripping down my face. So definitely like the experience that having a physical body gives me, like the feeling the sensations of, um, of life essentially. Like I'm so, I'm so grateful for my body for that reason.
1: I love it. Yay. Thanks for answering. I'm like, Ooh, that's such a good question. I want to hear what you have to say. Thank you. So, um, in terms of where people can find me, Instagram, leahkern.rd. My podcast is called Shoulders Down Podcast, and it's been really like a meaningful avenue of sharing. Um, I have a weekly newsletter that I also really love. I love writing, so that's a fun avenue um, that you can get to through my website, leahkernrd.com. And then I'd love to share a personal plug, if it's okay, unrelated to intuitive eating. So um, I recently started a newsletter sharing personal writing, which feels so big. It's like, sharing things besides intuitive eating and body image content. I felt a call to do it for a while and it's only uh, a few weeks old. So that Substack stack um, is called messy lived in life. Um, and you can search messy lived in life, Leah Kern, and it will come up and you can subscribe. I'll also give you the link if you want to put it in the show notes.
0: Yeah, I would love that. I am excited to read that. That sounds, that sounds really fun. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Leah. I think this was like a really important conversation and I hope we like made people think a little bit differently about cannabis and maybe made some people like brave enough to, I mean, I don't know, do it, don't do it. I don't really care. But if the (laughs) only thing holding you back was the fear of the munchies, then
1: don't let that stop you anymore. (laughs) I love that. I love that so much. Thank you for being open to to chatting about it. And it was wonderful connecting. Thank you. Thanks for listening to
0: this week's episode of Dear Runner Bod. If you enjoyed what you heard, remember to subscribe and make sure you share today's episode. Also, if you're looking to download a free three-step guide to love your runner's bod, then head to serenamarierd.com. Can't wait to chat with you next week.